Well, welcome to the Stop and Think podcast. I'm your host, Will Dole. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying, you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, today, my guest is Ted Cluck, and Ted's an award-winning author. His writings appeared in ESPN the Magazine, ESPN.com, USA Today. He's also the author of upwards of two dozen books, uh, most recently, The Happy Rant, which is based off of The Happy Rant podcast, which he hosts. Uh, and my daughter's super excited about his, he's got a book coming up about the dog, the dog that lives. Uh, and so, yeah, just kind of, you have a really wide range of books that you've written essays and, uh, stuff on sports and stuff for kids. So maybe, maybe before we say, other than thanks for coming on the podcast, Ted, uh, <laughs> what maybe, maybe give the audience just a little bit of background. I mean, some of them will be familiar with you, but some probably not. So like what, what's your background? Obviously you're a, a, probably a wide ranging writer and author, uh, but like, how did you come to know the Lord? Um, and what made yeah. you want to be a writer? Yeah, these are big things, man. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, the North of two dozen books thing is just a function of being old. I, I can tell by seeing you, you're a young guy, man. You've got nice porcelain skin and a jawline still, and I'm a little <laughs> jealous, but, um, yeah, I've been, I've been at this for a while, like 20 years now, probably with the writing and, I think with that, you know, I, I went to college to play football. I was on a football scholarship and I got hurt my sophomore year. And it was the second kind of serious injury in a row. And I thought at that time that like football was done for me. I thought it was a wrap. So really, I just became a writer because I needed another thing. And um, I'd always enjoyed it. I'd always enjoyed writing. Never thought of myself as a writer, never envisioned a career in writing. But I always liked to read. My dad was a pilot and a football coach. And whenever he would come back from a trip, he would usually bring me a book from like a used bookstore, wherever he was. And I read a lot. And when I first started to write, I enjoyed the sensation of kind of having another way to communicate with the world, another way to display some style, another way to entertain. Um, it was a buzz. It was a buzz in a similar way that football was a buzz different too. Um, but it was pretty cool, man. And I, I met a young lady a little hottie at college who really did like school. I didn't like school. I was bored. Um, I didn't enjoy it, but uh, she was very smart. Um, she loved to read, loved to write. Uh, she's my wife, Kristen, by the way, we've been married 26 years. So uh, most of the credit for whatever I've done, that's good goes for sure to the Lord, but then to KK. So uh, shout out my wife. And yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, 26 years is a long time, man. Uh, we're yeah, just, my wife and I are just coming up on 11 uh, tomorrow, actually. Nice. So. Congrats. Yeah, it's it's a wild ride and it's very sanctifying and joyful. And man, I'm just I'm grateful. She's forgiven a lot and um, grown a lot. We got married young. I was 20. So we kind of grew up together. You know, we were we were sort of just kids when we got married and um, we've had to figure a lot of things out on the fly, but it's been very good. Hey, I didn't send you this question ahead of time, but my wife thought I should throw it in. You've, you've got two boys. Yeah. What do you do uh, when your boys pee in the potted plants? Oh, man. Um, my boys weren't big, like, unconventional peers. So they we never encountered that problem, per se. But I'll tell you, raising two young, rambunctious boys, that was tough, man. It was tough for me. Um, I like quiet. I like order. I like mm. neatness. 
Um, so a lot of those things got challenged when the boys were young, but I tell you, they're, they're older now. The oldest is 20, just turned 20. He'll be a sophomore at union where I teach. And, uh, the youngest will be a sophomore in high school and man, it's fun now. It's so much fun. They're friends. We enjoy the same stuff. We do stuff together. Um, it's just a joy. So hang in there through the peeing and, and the potted plant situation. What did you guys do? How'd you handle it? Not to turn this into like the Paul trip parenting podcast, but I'm, I'm curious. That's all right. I have his book on parenting. I haven't read it yet, but, uh, because I don't actually read books on parenting, but I have it on my shelf. It looks nice there. There you go. Uh, I first questioned them to find out which one did it. And of mm-hmm. course, nobody fessed up, but you can read their eyes and know which one did it. And yeah, addressed how their mother might be disappointed in that choice. And yeah. he got to clean it up. And yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. All that fun are, stuff. You guys are good parents. I can tell. We try. I don't know how well we're doing, but uh, time will tell time will tell maybe you should write a parenting book you know you don't have to be qualified at all to do that so that's true in fact it might sell better if i write it before i actually know anything oh for Uh, sure but in any case maybe maybe this uh boys peeing everywhere this is a great transition to why i actually asked you on the podcast (laughs) so i i had pre-ordered the happy rant so it came right as it as it released and uh, on pages 182 to 83 you guys are talking about manly men and Mm. uh doing your typical happy rant riff on this thing thing um but in, in one of the sections that you write, you talk about this kind of the glass chewing John Wayne stereotype that's come to be a stand in for everything that's wrong with masculinity in our culture. I mean, the, the book that everybody in the evangelical world is supposed to read and love right now is Dumais, Jesus and John Wayne. Um, and you kind of think like the, the character from She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, Nathan Brittles, he over and over says, never apologize. It's a sign of weakness. But then kind of countering that, you you talk about the the Rooster Cogburn character in True Grit, which is John Wayne's only Academy Award winning role. And mm-hmm. and you just talk about how that kind of counters that narrative of is this really the worst thing in the world if guys were to imitate this kind of masculinity? Yeah. Um so what what's right with a quote unquote John Wayne masculinity? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's all entertainment. Right. And right. The, the book that you referred to, the other one, I haven't read it. I have no interest. I, I won't. But no offense to anybody. But it's just, I, you know, you throw a big name on a book like that and you create kind of an entertaining narrative around it and, and people latch on or hate it. And that's how books get sold. Right. So, um, you know, she did a very savvy thing by uh, giving something to people to either love and affirm all their biases or to make them hate. And I'm neither, but um, I just kind of wanted to defend John Wayne in part because I thought it would rile up Ronnie a little bit. I thought I could kind of wind him up and get him going (laughs) a little bit, get him to have a take. You know, Ronnie's like a lot of people when they get, you give them a little education and they want to play like find the misogynist, you know, and he was kind of in his, he was kind of in his playing find the misogynist phase when we, when we wrote the books, I thought it could wind him up a little bit, but um, it appears to have failed. Oh yeah. It it usually does. You know, Ronnie's not going to have a take like Ronnie's he's always working the angles and you know, there may be a, he probably wants to co-author a book with Kristen Cobes Dumez or whoever it was who wrote the John Wayne book. So he, he may be angling, but uh, no, I mean, I, you know, when all the anti-John Wayne talk came out, I just remembered his true grit character. 
And I was like, you know, this, this guy in many ways is pretty great. And it's also, you know, kind of a joke to, to take some fictional guy's body of work that ended in 1976 and, and, you know, make it a reason to be angry. So I was just like, you know, this, this character was pretty great. If I could display some of those qualities in my life, it'd probably be a good thing. Um, so I'm just going to write it and hopefully do it in a funny way and see what people think about it. Yeah. Well, is, I mean, first of all, like you said, it's, it's all entertainment. Sure. And uh, I grew up like, I don't know how many John Wayne movies we had. He made like 150 some. We probably owned 70 to 80 of them. Wow. And there certainly are things like the never apologize is a sign of weakness. That's horrific advice for life. Yeah, it's but really even, terrible even, advice. Even within that character, there are yeah. some pretty admirable things, you know, mm-hmm. like and and is what we have right now better with like the, the no. sea of apathy. Yeah. And it's not even apathy, right? It's like, you know, with every situation and every interaction, and I see this in the academy, right? You're you're wetting your fingertip, you're sticking it to the wind, you're seeing how the cultural winds are blowing, and you're kind of demurring, right? You're mm-hmm. you're ca- caveating everything a thousand times. Everything is like kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, sort of, sort of, sort of, you know, and it's like the result is these men who are kind of demure to a, to a fault because they're afraid to sort of have a take on anything, you know? And um, that's just a reaction. Right. And we, and we see this happen every 20 years or so the pendulum swings, you know, wildly one direction or the other. And, you know, the, the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, right. I don't want to be a, a never apologizing, you know, silent glass chewing jerk, but I also don't want to be a the kind of guy who will metaphorically blow over in a stiff breeze either. You know, um, I think for me and raising boys and you're raising boys, um, it's courageous to apologize. Right. Um, it's also, you know, part and parcel with understanding the gospel. Right. Repentance is a huge part of it. And I want them to have the courage to do that. I want them to have the courage to act under the conviction of the spirit. Um, I, I do want them to lead well, you know, I do want them to be the kinds of men that people feel safe with. And, uh, I want them to have the courage to do difficult things because as you know, you know, this world is not kind, man. We live in a fallen, broken world and it'll beat you up and chew you up and spit you out, but you got to keep going. And, um, you know, there, there are admirable qualities in those characters that, I, I sort of occupy a unique space in the happy rant in that I'm not a pastor. I'm not trying to get book deals. I'm not trying to like, look like a big sweetheart on Twitter. I have no social media presence whatsoever. So I can kind of say what I want and let the chips fall. And that's a, a nice place to be. Yeah. Well, maybe kind of following up on that same note. I mean, you, you've mentioned on the podcast several times that you don't, you don't hate all of the uh, early 2000s Driscoll stuff that we're supposed to, to hate now and and that's something i really resonate with so like i i i know you didn't listen to really much of that the podcast but the rise and fall i listened to uh with a lot of interest because i was super like driscollite for a few years and it was it was really part of actually the story of how like god got a hold of my life was a couple Mm. a, a guy handed me a couple of cds when i graduated high school and said, Hey, I think you need to listen to this. Um, 
and and God used that a lot in my life. Uh, and yeah. so I watch I watched the fall and then listened back over to it through the podcast with a lot of sorrow. Yeah. But but there were good things in there that are still helpful. So maybe you riff on that a little bit. Yeah, I would I would love to hear you actually talk about what resonated with you back then. But, you know, for me, and I didn't listen to the podcast because it, quite frankly, it filled me with sorrow too. And there was a lot of kind of evangelical rubbernecking where guys were sort of rubbing their hands together with glee waiting for the next episode and it seems mm. it seemed gauche, it seemed gross to like delight in the the sort of downfall of another person, even another person that you've decided that it's cool to not like so yeah I couldn't get on board with that and I I think the ways that Drisky was challenging people back in the early 2000s or back when you consume those CDs they were probably good challenges right like get off the couch um, step away from your weed and your porn and your video games and like be a participant in your family and in life and be a leader and try some things and get to know your Bible. And these, these are still good things, right? So I think the, the temptation per the kind of social theology of 2022 is when the person does a bad thing, it renders everything that they've ever written or said obsolete and bad. And, you know, the, the kind of orthodoxy of Twitter is take a thing, hold it up, figure out how to make it about me and then start the platform work accordingly, right? And I think people view Driscoll as something to make about them, when in reality, he was a young guy who got thrust into ministry too quickly and probably got too much influence too fast. But that doesn't mean that everything he said was stupid or irresponsible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's a good way to put it. That. We and this, I mean, that that definitely goes to something even broader in our culture, where we we if we find the air, like you said, we make it about us, and mm-hmm. and really in an anachronistic way, like judging what's happening there through the lens of orthodoxy now, mm-hmm. yeah, and in a sense, it's like our evangelical version of tearing down statues, mm-hmm. where where we want to go back and say, hey you know, this guy was an abusive jerk. Okay. We, yeah. we can probably say that there's probably enough evidence to say that's, that's the case. But yeah. does that mean that, that everything he said about, Hey, we really do have a big problem with guys who won't get off the couch and get a job, uh, mm-hmm. guys who won't take initiative with their family. Yeah. Um, you know, it, yeah, it was even, so one of the, one of the episodes of the podcast, they go into that famous clip where he's screaming, who in the hell do you think you are? You know, uh-huh. abusing woman, blah, 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 which really, as I went back and listened to that sermon, it was an awful sermon on first Peter three, <laughs> but at the yeah. same time, like the Lord certainly used that, like that section yeah. to wake me up. Like, mm-hmm. wow. When, when I'm looking at porn, I'm abusing a woman or, mm-hmm. or I'm cheating on my future wife. And yeah, just like a wake up call mm-hmm. that isn't isn't there when you're doing the caveat every single, every single time you say, well, here's what scripture says, but, but, but grace, grace, grace. I mean, yes, grace is the note we need to sound. We need to bring people Mm -hmm. back to that. But if you don't actually have any hard edges, yeah, you don't really see a need for it. 
I think the good thing that we can learn from the whole Drisky experience and even the the podcast, which I thought was gross, but um, kind of the whole thing in general, hero worship is probably always a bad idea, right? Yes. Whether it's Drisky or whether it's, I don't know, pick a current big sweetheart, I don't know, Russell Moore, David French or whatever, like whoever your your current sort of temptation to hero worship person is, it's probably a bad idea. You know, that person is a sinner. Um, their heart is fallen and broken and, and vulnerable in, in many of the same ways that mine is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it wouldn't have been good for me at age 20, whatever, to be platformed and promoted and put on a pedestal in the way that Trisky was. I would have, I'm sure, ruined that in similar ways. So, um, you know, I, I do think we can learn from it. But I, I agree, Will. I mean, I think there are places for a person, any person, whether they're a man or a woman following Christ to have doctrinal distinctives and to have lines that we're not willing to cross culturally. And, and look, I mean, it's going to make us uncool, right? Uh, We're going to lose audience members and maybe book deals and our big sweetheart status on Twitter or whatever over it, but um, that's okay. You know, and the Bible says it's okay. And it's been okay for Christians for centuries who have done it. So I'm, I'm emboldened by that. Hmm. Maybe following on from the learning lessons about hero worship and everybody being a sinner and getting put in their place. Yeah. I, I, that when you said that, it just made me think of, of an experience when I was uh, a freshman in high school. And so I, I never played football past high school, but in Mm -hmm. my freshman year, it was a little tiny school. I was and I was a homeschooler, so I was playing with the public school kids. Yeah, and right on. You were kind of nervous, huh? That was a bit of a deal. Well, I mean, I played in middle school, so I, I yeah, I wasn't yeah. that nervous. Yeah, and and I was the nerdy kid, so I like knew the playbook really well. And like, I the, my problem was I was actually not nervous enough. That was the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I would tell everybody what they're supposed to be doing and so when you're Uh, a freshman yelling at seniors that doesn't go so well yeah and you know it didn't like sink into me when they're singling me out in practice and like just taking great cheap shots as we're doing punt return drills and stuff like oh maybe i'm like making myself unpopular and finally my coaches Mm -hmm. had to pull me aside and be like hey you know well you're a freshman number one number two you're a homeschooler number (laughs) three you're a freshman yeah and so shut up and And there's all these lessons in life uh, about learning your place and at the same time, knowing what's right, having convictions, mm-hmm. working hard, all these kind of lessons that can be learned from, from sports. And so you're, you're someone, you, you went to college to play football, you said, and you, you've coached, played, mm-hmm. written about football for a long time. Is, what, what are life lessons that you've, maybe lessons specifically about being man or just in general life yeah. lessons that you've pulled from, from football or from sports in general over the years? Man, what a cool story by you about the influence of a coach, right? That was a really important thing for you to learn. And he really, in some ways in that moment, probably like deduced you for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Because that, that it took to- a few years for it to sink in, but it, <laughs> yeah. and I come back to it a lot. I bet you do, you know, because that impulse is there. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, you know, it taught me lots of things that helped me in writing, right? It taught me how to work really hard and it taught me how to keep going when it hurts, right? When, when you play football, I mean, you make your peace with suffering, 
You know, you're mm. going to suffer every practice when you do conditioning, you're going to suffer when you get hit and it hurts. And, you know, you're even going to suffer in the way that you, you figure out exactly where you fit in the hierarchy. You know what I mean? Football is the ultimate truth teller. Like you can't go home at the end of a hard practice where you lost every rep thinking that you're the greatest, you know what I mean? And I, th- I think something that I struggle with as a college professor is and, and it's part and parcel with kind of how we curate kids now. Um, and even as Christians, our impulse is to want to bubble wrap them, curate their experience so heavily such that they get to college and they think they're amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is most of them are average. Most of us are average. Right. And half so, of us are below average. Well, that's right. Yeah. And then you get into that college classroom and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not this amazing genius. You know, I'm not this, you know, towering writer. And um, it could be hard for our students to go through that. So having the truth told to you early, football can can do that. Learning how to grind, learning how to keep going. For me, it taught me how to lead because I wasn't a natural leader. You know, I was a shy kid. I was quiet. Um I was like the only Christian at a very secular public school. So um, when I was a freshman, I remember showing up to my first, you know, round of summer workouts as like an eighth grader about to be a freshman. And I had a senior kind of take me under his wing. And he was basically like, anything you need around here, talk to me. And um, I've always tried to do that with like younger, weaker folks, you know, to bring people along and make them feel comfortable and that was a real game changer for me. And, um, you know, hopefully my boys are the, are the same way now, you know, when you, when you've got a little bit of strength or influence or upper hand or whatever, don't abuse it and and use it to bring people along and make them feel comfortable. Yeah. Well, as we get close to wrapping it up here again, thank you for your time, Ted. Yeah. I just got a few, I, I sent you a couple of these, but if we have time, maybe we'll hit a couple more. What are some, some of your favorites? Uh, what, what's your favorite old sports thing to watch on YouTube? Favorite old sports thing to watch on YouTube. Oh, this is good. Um, I love offensive line play right now. So I'll watch old centers, old guards. So I've been watching like Mike Webster Steelers tape. I've been watching Kirk Loudermilk from the Vikings. So I'm, I'm still playing, which is insane at my age. Uh, but I play center now. I was always okay. like fullback, linebacker, tight end. But as I've gotten older and slower, I've kind of moved into the offensive line. But I'm <laughs> I'm studying kind of undersized centers, you know, to to pick up any tips I can I can use and translate to the field. But uh, I enjoy what that. What context I, are you playing in? I play in a little developmental arena league out of Knoxville, Tennessee. So I drive across the state for these games. Um, I'm just playing center. And, um, so in, in arena, you've always got a guy over your nose, right? Yeah. There's always a yeah. guy, he's either right over you or he's shaded to one side or the other, and it's a quick snap and a block. So I got to make a, a good shotgun snap and get to my spot. And, um, you know, it's physical, it's hard. I come home, beat up, uh, maybe break a finger or whatever, but that's the, that's the cost of doing business. So, um, I'm enjoying old offensive line tape, Tristan and I, my son, so my son's 20, He's a business analytics student. So we're kind of working on this model. We're watching a lot of film and like digging through old stats to see if there's a sustainable way to build a roster without overspending at quarterback, right? Because now Hmm. the sort of the NFL quarterback salaries are ridiculous, right? So like somebody like, yeah, somebody like Kyler Murray is getting this insane, like hall of fame extension 
when he's not even close to done with his first deal and when you don't even know who he's going to be. And like kind of Kirk Cousins started this, right, where this mediocre guy was getting this, you know, amazing deal. And so we're looking at players and older teams and and teams that have won kind of around the quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the sustainable way forward might be to – pay moderately at that position and put resources elsewhere. So we're working on that. We're enjoying that. Um, old fullback stuff. I love it. I like to watch Mike Allstott, Vontae Leach, um, Tony Richardson, just great lead blockers, like ripping people's faces off. I, I enjoy it. That's fantastic. If you yeah. get that model figured out, send it to the Seahawks, please. Uh, yeah, no doubt. So you're a Seahawks fan, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Idaho. So that was the oh, closest thing we had to having a team. So you're, you're too young to, probably to remember this player but i was a huge brian bosworth fan okay um, yeah so that's Bo- a little before yeah. my time but boz is my connection to the seahawks and uh i i have fond feelings about that franchise due to them having brian bosworth for a couple of years yeah i always made fun of my dad for being a fan of the sea chickens growing up and then uh-huh. or whatever it was 06 07 with yeah sean alexander and hasselbeck and they yeah i jumped on the bandwagon and just haven't fallen off yet those were fun so. teams. So let, let's do 30 seconds on the Seahawks uniforms. Um, <laughs> they're so bad, Will. They're, they're really awful. hard to look at. And the Bosworth era Seahawks uni was such a beauty, dude. It was so nice. Like, it, even if you go a little later, like um, Cortez Kennedy, Chris Warren, mm-hmm. everybody looked good in that uniform, dude. It, with the silver pants and the, yep. the, the, the blue jersey, the big numbers, Steve Largent. I mean, it was a, it was a beaut. And then they went to that kind of monstrosity that they're wearing now. And, and it's just, um, it's time for a change. They're bringing it back as the retro, but they can't supply chain issues. They can't get it back till next year for, for a retro oh, throwback. America. So yeah. 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 It's 2022 for you. No doubt. <laughs> what, what's your favorite uh, John Wayne flick? Man, it's, and this is, this is going to sound like a cop-out answer. I'm really not super familiar with his library. You're probably more familiar with it than I am, but I I really do love true grit, right? So you've got a, this broken, older, like flawed character. He's got a lot of problems. He needs some redemption and it's just a nice redemption story, right? Some sacrifice. Have you ever Um, watched uh, that, the Rooster Cogburn movie? I haven't. Is it any good? Is it worth it? The storyline is not nearly as, as intriguing as True Grit because it's not based mm-hmm. on a Portis novel, but it's just rip, pay, based on the same character. Yeah. And it's got Catherine Hepburn in it, and they've got good oh. chemistry. So it's it's Love pretty it. good. My That's kind of my wife and I. Have, if we're going to compromise on a movie, we have totally different tastes in movies, but uh, yeah. Rooster Cogburn's a good, a good Isn't compromise. It's weird how, like, uh, I don't know, the, the sort of the veracity of taking a fictional character. And I mean, John Wayne was a real person. He was a real celebrity with influence. Right. But we're not doing this with other celebrities. We're not like, Oh, Brad Pitt's a misogynist. Cause he <laughs> sleeps with a lot of girls in his movies, you know, like, I mean, it's just, it's a weird thing to hang your hat on to say. He's not creating crime waves with oceans movies. Yeah, and... exactly. I watched oceans and now I want to go rob a casino yeah. and, and eat in every scene. I'm a huge Brad guy. I love those movies. 20 years from now, that's that's going to be the narrative. Yeah, right. Um, Jesus and what was his name in that movie? I don't remember. I don't um, shoot, dude. CTE. I'm blanking. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, maybe it, just totally to satisfy my own curiosity, you're, yeah. a lot of your, your writing is, is narrative and nonfiction. So what, what is your favorite piece of narrative nonfiction? 
Man, that's a great question. I really love David Foster Wallace. Mm. Um, he was this writer. He did essay collections. So he did two or three big essay collections. And then he wrote a novel called Infinite Jest that is the thing that he's probably most famous for. But I, I loved his nonfiction. He could write about anything. You know, he could write about tennis or hip hop or movies or whatever and make really make the reader love him on the page and love his sentences. He was wildly talented, like the the Michael Jordan of American writing when, when I was in my early twenties and um, yeah, just really loved his work. So probably one of the Wallace essay collections. I love a book called paper line came out in 1963 written by George Plimpton. He was at the time, like a big kind of literary superstar himself. Although I didn't know it when I read the book, but he embedded for a training camp with the Detroit Lions in 1963 and wrote this piece of kind of narrative nonfiction about it um, that I really love. Uh, another one that I love, Friday Night Lights by Buzz Bissinger, just kind of landmark football book. Still in print, the highest grossing sports book of all time mm. for good reason. Very good. Have you read Friday Night Lights, Will? No, I have not. Oh my gosh, you got to, dude. Have you seen the movie? No. Oh, Dude, it came out in the early 2000s. You'll love it. As a former high school football player, it will uh, it will speak to you. It's my favorite football movie. Probably. I'll, I'll have to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> I watch movies like once every never. So really, but I th- I've heard enough people recommend Friday Night Lights that I'd prob- yeah, probably dude, should so do it. What do you watch? Are you more of a shows guy? I, to be to sound way too pious and nerdy. Yeah, I mostly just read solid dude that's a great uh, that's a great reformed answer I that is that. like yeah i've got half enough kids to be reformed i won't baptize mm-hmm. the babies yet but i yeah. do read a lot so yeah half enough kids more than enough books to make up for it yeah You're in good probably shape. i probably balance it out but no go. i do i do enjoy sitting down to watch something good mm-hmm. the wife and i just have like totally different tastes so it kind of makes yeah. it hard to what are you into and what is she into i like drama Mm-hmm. I like to be interested in the story and the characters. Yeah. She wants to laugh. There you go. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. Nothing wrong with laughing. I'm just, it's not what I like. I just don't find as much enjoyment in it. No, like that sounds happy- horrible. No, it's okay. But you like the happy rant, which is about laughing. So that's, that's an interesting thing to me. Yeah, that is an interesting thing. I, I do. I don't know how to explain that. I don't have a good, mm-hmm. a good, good answer for it. It's okay, man. It's okay to laugh. It doesn't make you less smart. No, it. That's actually been something I've had to figure out, though. That that's probably mm. the most reformed thing about me is I've had to figure out that laughing is okay. That's yeah, actually dude. how I came in. That's how I came into reading fiction. Mm-hmm. I still prefer like narrative nonfiction is probably my favorite genre to read. I don't read as yeah. much of it, but uh, I had to learn that oh, reading fiction is actually an okay thing to do. It's not a waste of my time and brain space. And totally. Uh, oh man, yeah. Like, so. Why do you think so many reform guys struggle with that? Well, I mean, underneath, there's just like a taking yourself way too seriously. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the short answer would be pride. Yeah. Culturally, like, I wonder if there is just a, a fear of, Of our lazy, that lazy is not the right word. Mm-hmm. Our unserious culture that we live in, where where entertainment is its own form 
of religion. Yeah. And, and, and you react so hard against that. Mm-hmm. that you're like well i have to like and and taking like real weighty important things like mm-hmm. heaven hell like these yeah. are important things yeah. uh, but i guess for me kind of what flip flipped my mind on it was understanding that yeah those those realities are eternal and they're weighty mm. but i've got to communicate them with real people and yeah. i'm a bookish nerd and don't understand real people very well and fiction mm. actually helps me enter into somebody else's skin and I can take that experience into a conversation and be like, okay, get out of your own head. Will mm. feel what somebody else is feeling here. That's good. Um, so yeah, good for you, man. I, so what do you do, dude? Are you a pastor? I'm a pastor and my wife and I just opened up a coffee shop. So I worked, oh, right I worked for the postal service for 13 years and we planted bivocationally. And so I guess technically I am still bivocational, but, uh, dude, you were a, were you a male a carrier? Yes, I was for eight of those 13 years. So do you have a favorite like male carrier in, in pop culture? You know what I'm, mm, I'm I you know the the guy on uh Seinfeld N- Newman is yeah, yeah Newman is <laughs> pretty pitch perfect. Oh, I like love for it. an older generation of male carrier. Yeah, yeah. Like I worked with some of those guys. Yeah. And definitely not not quite to that caricature, but mm-hmm. I definitely went to other offices where literally <laughs> he was working there. Um, Dude, that's solid. Now, have oh. you have you experienced the show Cheers at all? It's my all time favorite television show. I've caught like thirty seconds of it every now and then. I've never actually watched an episode, to my knowledge. Dude, I love it. It's what I watch when I can't sleep. It makes me feel warm and nostalgic and at peace. But um, there's a, a mail carrier, Cliff Clavin. That okay. figures prominently in in cheers so uh if you want to take that deep dive, hanging out in the bar i knew guys that back in the day used to go to the bar on the clock yeah um, yeah so. hanging out hanging out mid shift you yeah. know just pop in i don't think you can get away with that now everybody's gps and yeah you they know where you are at every second and yeah yeah it's, it's not the good old was days a, anymore it was a simpler time will it was you know? a simpler time i actually i got to because of just like the time frame that i worked for the post office i got to watch that transition yeah so, i bet that was interesting and awful all at the same time i believe it i believe it anyway we are running out of time here but normally at this point i ask people like you know how can people find you on social and they're not going to be able to so i have an alternate question for you ted what's one book of uh, people should go read the happy rant and if they don't know about the happy rant podcast they should go listen to the podcast for like listen to five ten episodes and then go buy the book because you'll get it better yeah but outside of the happy rant what is one book of yours that you wish more people read? Yeah, honestly, right now, I wish it was the graphic novels, you know? Hmm. Um, so I've got two on the shelves currently. I've got a third coming. So if you go to this little mom and pop bookseller that we're partnered with, little tryhard called Amazon.com, uh, navigate there on the internet, type in my name. Uh, you'll see the graphic novels. Uh, one's called The Extraordinary Life of a Mediocre Jock. The second one is called The Outstanding Life of an Awkward Theater Kid. They're tender, they're funny, they're heartfelt, they're pure and wholesome, which is the kind of thing I, I want to do more of right now. So they, they make me really happy to write, and I hope that they make people happy to read. Yeah. I just throw my endorsement on that. My daughter, who is very much an awkward theater kid, absolutely nice. loves those books. Great, uh, so So, yeah. Thank you again, Ted, for coming on the podcast. And this has been the Stopping to Think podcast. I'm your host, Will Dole. Thank you for listening.
Thoughts dance in place to the bohemian groove. 